God. What is your favorite thing about Him? Think about that just for a moment. If you were just to answer, maybe in just a, a handful of words, what would be your favorite thing when you think about God, the thing that you love most about Him? Would anybody like to just respond with a word of praise to the Lord this morning? Uh, what's your favorite thing about God, Jeannie? That He's the same. Okay, God's consistency, that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Scripture says. Yes, that He does, that his, has presence in our lives, that He actually desires a relationship with us. That's an amazing thing. Someone else? That he gives us peace from the turmoil of this world. Yeah, peace that passes all understanding. It's wonderful. Somebody else this morning? Yes, Ken. God respects me more than anything else. Grace. That's right. His grace. That's very good. All right. Peace, grace, his presence with us. Not surprisingly, none of us responded. My favorite thing about God is his justice. None of us responded, my favorite thing about God is his wrath against sin. None of us responded, my favorite thing about God is that one day he's going to bring judgment to this world. We don't respond those ways because those really aren't our favorite things about God. We love the mercy of God, but we often forget about the fact that apart from God's perfect justice his mercy has no effect truly in this world or in our lives if god is not perfectly just then he can't be truly merciful if god is not perfectly righteous in his judgments then he cannot truly show righteous love to sinners like us. And as we jump into Revelation chapter 6 and what is going to end up being about three months of from Revelation 6 all the way to Revelation chapter 19, we're going to be for the next 13 weeks in, in a series of chapters that just, they're heavy. And they demonstrate the wrath of God against sin in this world they demonstrate what the judgment of god is going to look like and all the things that we've been seeing in revelation leading up to this have given us a very very exalted picture of the sovereign god who rules over all of creation but there are some things about god that we love more than others and as we look here in Revelation chapter 6, we're going to see some things today and in the coming weeks, some things that they don't really excite us as much. When we think about the wrath of God and the judgment of God and the justice of God, we don't get quite as excited about those things. But I want to encourage you this morning that there are some things about God's wrath and His justice and His judgment coming to this world that we as followers of Christ can get excited about. And I hope that you'll begin to see that as we dive into these chapters together. I've entitled the message this morning, When Grace Runs Out. And we think about so often the fact that God's grace is sufficient. That it, 
it meets all of our needs. There is, there is not any part of God's grace that doesn't cover our sin in, in fullness, in completion, that God has perfectly taken care of the sin problem that leaves us spiritually dead and separated from Him, that at the cross there was not one aspect of our sin that wasn't dealt with fully and completely. And we can praise the Lord for that. But the Bible speaks about in various passages, the fact that today is the day of salvation. The fact that if we choose to neglect the great salvation that God purchased for us with the price of the blood of His only Son at the cross of Calvary, if we choose to neglect this great salvation, to turn away from Him and to choose to go our own way, that there will come a day when God's judgment will come for us. There will come a day when grace runs out. Before we read the scripture this morning, let me just remind you just a little bit of background. If you've not been with us or if you maybe forgotten a little bit about where we've been. In Revelation 4 and 5, we saw this throne room scene in heaven. And it says, if the veil of heaven was pulled back and John, the apostle, was given a glimpse into what is happening in the throne room of heaven and what is going to happen in days yet to come. There was God, God gave John basically a preview of coming events and he begins in the throne room of heaven where everything else is coming from there. As we'll begin to see in these coming chapters, everything that happens from Revelation 6 through Revelation 19, most of the events happen on earth, but you'll see clearly that the control room is in heaven. It's a great reminder for us. Everything that happens in our lives is truly the same way. We live as well under the sovereignty of God, even if we don't recognize it. All the events of our lives are come, come, into a, come to us by his, his sovereign hand. And so we saw the throne room scene in heaven. We see the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, taking from the right hand of God the Father this scroll which represents the title deed of all creation. This is what He earned by His work at the cross for us and by His resurrection from the dead. He takes the title deed of all creation which has on it these seven seals. It was perfectly sealed. And in this chapter, He begins to remove those seals and we'll see what happens. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning as we read Revelation chapter 6. The Apostle John says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a, pale of scale, a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. In verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. 
When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given each one a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand. You can be seated this morning. Father God, as we seated together this morning, God, we pray that you would help us to understand this part of your word. It's a difficult word this morning, difficult even to stand and to preach. God, I pray for us this morning that we would learn to love your justice as much as we love your mercy. God, that we would learn to honor your wrath as much as we honor your grace. Lord, these are hard things. In this passage, we find many hard things. Lord, as we've prayed in many weeks past, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church this morning. And may we walk in obedience to these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a lot here, and we are going to move pretty quickly this morning. Uh, so buckle in here we go (laughs) we see as the lamb begins to open these seven seals the first six seals occur here in chapter six and we'll see the last of the seals opened in chapter eight and as it begins to do so basically what's taking place here is again we say this scroll is is the title deed of all creation. The God who created heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then man chose to sin and to bring death and destruction into the perfect world that God had created. And so when Christ takes the title deed of creation from the hand of the Father, you can picture in your mind what it would be like for you if you purchased a house that really needed a lot of work. Now, I'm thankful that my wife and I didn't purchase a house that needed a lot of work, but we looked at a few. There was one house that we looked at in town that we went, and it was a really nice home, and the price was really great, but we were looking at the house going, every room in this house is going to need to be renovated. 
whether it's got wallpaper, it had this really hideous aqua carpet. I don't know if they got a really good deal on that aqua carpet or if they just really liked that color. I thought it was the ugliest carpet I'd ever seen, and it was everywhere. And we were looking at this house going, this house is a really good deal, and, and we could afford it, but, but it needs so much work. I've never been a part of flipping a house, as they say, but I think that that's kind of a picture of what we see taking place here. When Christ takes hold of the title deed of all creation and he begins to open these seals, what's taking place is he is beginning to renovate a world that has fallen into disrepair because of sin and death. And much work is needed. Much cleaning house needs to take place. And you know how that goes. When you begin to renovate a room, it has to look worse before it can look better, right? You've all experienced that. Destruction has to happen before reconstruction can really take place. And that's what we see happening in these chapters, is God is beginning to tear away all that has hindered His creation from the perfection with which He created it. He's beginning to remove the effects of sin and death in this world, bit by bit, piece by piece, and it happens pretty rapid fire. You think about whenever this takes place, even if it's, even if it's now, we believe uh, those of you that w- would be uh, young, young earth creationists like myself, we believe this world is somewhere between six and 10,000 years old. That means that, the, that sin and death have been working on this world for somewhere between six and 10,000 years. And what you see in the book of Revelation is that at a period of about seven years, God is going to renovate all of creation. He's going to undo the effects of six to 10,000 years worth of sin and death in this world in a, relative, a relatively short period of time. And so how's he going to do that? It begins with these seven seals. The first four represent four warriors. And I want you to see the fourfold warriors that occur here in these first eight verses. You've often heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. There's been much written about these guys and and many understandings of what these represent. And you're just going to get my two cents this morning as to what I think uh, these are representing. But you take this passage and you, the best way to understand Revelation chapter 6 is to go over to Matthew chapter 24. You may just want to jot that down. You'll notice I've referenced in your notes several verses from Matthew chapter 24. This is what we know in Matthew chapter 24 is Jesus' message known as the Olivet Discourse. On the Mount of Olives, he gave this message. When the disciples asked him, they said, Lord, what is it going to be like at the end of the age? How will we know when the end of the world as we know it is approaching. What are the signs going to be like? And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus shared with us some things that parallel perfectly with what we see here in Revelation chapter 6. And I want to show you that as we walk through these two passages, Scripture interpreting Scripture will help us. So we see this first horseman that comes forth. And you notice from the very beginning, who's in control here? Who is causing these events to happen? It's the Lamb, right? He says, Now I watched, and the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and He begins to open these seals one by one, removing these seals from the title deed of all creation so that He can renovate what has been hindered by sin. The first one of these horsemen represents here, let's see here, get this thing to work right. 
Let's see if that worked. Nope, I skipped it. Sorry. I'll learn how to work this thing one day. The first one of these represents... It is right. <laughs> Gotta love technology. The first one of these represents this false peace. You see this first horseman comes out and he, he's a white horse and he says here that the rider was given a bow and a crown and he came out conquering and to conquer. Now when we get to Revelation chapter 19, you're going to see another rider on a white horse, but don't be confused. Because the rider on the white horse in Revelation chapter 6 is not the same as the rider on the white horse in Revelation chapter 19. And that can be easily confusing, but it's meant to be confusing because the rider in Revelation chapter 6 wants you to be confused. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Jesus said, one of the signs that the end of the age is coming is that there will be many who will come saying, I'm the Messiah, saying, I'm the returning Christ. We've had that happening over the last hundred years. There have already been many. But he's saying that is going to actually increase more and more. And finally, there's going to be one who's going to come that we know in the book of Revelation and in various other scriptures as the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness he's referred to in scripture, the Antichrist is going to come and he is going to mimic Christ. He's going to be a man of miracles. That people will look at him and see his miracles and see him in many of the same ways that they saw Christ. And he's going to mimic Christ and that he is going to begin to restore worship toward God, but in a false way. And he's going to bring peace to the world, but it's going to be a false peace that's not going to last very long. Just a few short years is this peace going to last. And he's going to do these things in order not to give praise to God, but in order to elevate himself, in order to raise himself up. And John is laying before us one of the signs of the end of the age. It's going to begin, the end of the age is going to begin with a false peace that's going to come across the whole world. And you think about our world today, there are constantly wars and, and rumors of wars that Jesus talks about. There's war all around our world, but there's going to come a time at the end of the age when there will be this false peace that will come across the entire world and there will be this leader that will be recognized for bringing this peace. He is the rider here. And the second thing that we see here is that false peace is going to be followed by the second rider. And he says, And the second rider came on the horse that was bright red, and its rider was then permitted to take this peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. And so this particular rider is the one who comes, and he is bringing with him fighting. And so you're going to see a progression here. One horseman after the other, each one leads to the next. It begins with a false peace, and then it turns into fighting. And wars begin to break out, and it's not like any wars that we've seen. These are worldwide wars, even beyond what we've known in World War I and World War II. These are wars that are going to cover the face of the globe, that are going to be all across the world, culminating in one great battle that we'll talk about in weeks to come. But he wants us to see it here. He said, don't be deceived. 
Just pay attention. Jesus himself said, and you'll hear of wars, rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. So he's saying, pay attention, listen up, be prepared, but don't be alarmed. These things have to take place. Why do they have to take place? Because this is the sovereign plan of Almighty God. And it's not plan B. This was God's plan before the creation of the world. God laid out all of these things that were to take place. And if you are finding yourself trusting in Him, you can find yourself secure in the knowledge that though the world will be shaken by the power and the wrath of God, the people of God will remain secure in Him. The third horse comes out. And we see here among the third horse... With the third horse there, we see famine. Famine coming on the world. And he says, and this here, in verse 5, he opened the third seal, and out comes the black horse. Blackness is often related with famine in the world. And he says he was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And what was he going to use those scales for? But to measure out the food that would be in such great shortage. And you think about it, in our world, often when war comes, what comes with war in the world? Famine. They follow on the heels one with the other. And so we see here, war comes and then famine comes. And how does he describe the famine? He says, they will say in that day, a quart of wheat for denarius and three quarts of barley for denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Well, what does that mean? Well, a denarius was a day's wages. And we know from looking at what they would do with their day's wages that normally the average a a full-grown man would normally eat about a quart of wheat each day that was what was considered a day's worth of food if you wanted to feed yourself for a day it was a it was a quart of wheat that you would purchase and you would be paid a day's labor would be paid a denarius each day so think about it what it's saying is that there is going to come a day because of these wars and the famine that will follow, the price of food will rise so much that a man will only have enough food to feed himself. He won't have enough money to buy food for his entire family. And so rather than buying these choice foods known as wheat here, that they'll be forced to buy barley, which is a lesser grain that doesn't have nearly as much nutritional value but the poorest families that were living in john's day would often buy barley because even though it wouldn't nourish you as well and your kids wouldn't be as strong and as healthy you could get more of it for a cheaper price and so you could afford to feed as he says here three quarts you could afford to feed three people with barley but still you can see this famine will leave the poorest of the poor in destitute conditions then he says an interesting thing, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Well, what does that mean? Well, oil and wine were two things that in John's day only the rich could afford. Only the wealthy could afford to have oil and to have wine on a regular basis. And he's saying here basically that the wealthy won't really be affected by this famine in any great way. The wealthy will still go on. The rich will continue to get rich as the poor get poorer. That's what's going to happen in these particular days that are yet to come. He's laying out for us things that are yet to happen in our world. And finally, the fourth horseman comes. We read Matthew 24, 7 first. He says, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. 
That's what Jesus says. And then the fourth horseman comes, and he represents worldwide fatalities. And look at what he says here, and this is, this is mind-boggling. He opens the fourth seal. Out comes this pale horse. Its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to do what? To kill with sword, with famine, with pestilence, that means diseases, and with wild beasts of the earth. And the idea here is that because of these events that are taking place, because of the wars that come, followed by the famine that comes, followed by disease and all the other things that break out upon the world, what's going to happen in this short period of time is that a fourth of the earth's population is going to die. Now put that in terms of today. Just a few short years ago, we surpassed the 7 billion mark on our world. Before too long, scientists tell us we'll approach the 8 billion mark. The world is rapidly growing in population. That means that if these events began to happen today, that it would not be long before about 1.8 billion people would die in a very short period of time. Think about what that would mean just in this room alone. One in four people in this room no longer living in just a matter of a very short time, months perhaps. These are the events that we find him laying out here. But listen to the words of Christ once again from Matthew 24, 8. He says, all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Well, what is he talking about there? I've been thinking about that phrase a lot uh, since this last week. My, my sister-in-law uh, gave birth to uh, her triplets, which many of you have been praying for. Thank you for your prayers, church. We really appreciate that. And we've been able to spend some time with them this last week. And, uh, but she began having birth pains a couple of months ago. That's why many of you were praying for her because it was way too early for those children to come. And God was so gracious uh, to our family and, and to my sister-in-law and her husband in allowing those babies to remain in her womb and be able to grow. And they're all home now and doing well. And we were able to spend some time with them. And I'm so very thankful that it's them and not Beth and I. I just, I'm just going to tell you, I can't even imagine that. Uh, one at a time is enough, more than enough. And I can't even... Uh, just looking in the crib and seeing three babies right next to each other, it'll make you thankful that you have one at a time. And so, but they didn't come until God was ready for them to come. Now take that thought and apply it here when Jesus says, all the things that he's just laid out for us, this false peace followed by this time of war which results in famine, which results in worldwide fatalities, a fourth of the population of the earth wiped out in a matter of months, that all of these things, that all of these things are merely, Christ says, the beginning of birth pains. Well, what do birth pains result in? Birth, right? That's the whole purpose of birth pains, that something good is coming. Something amazing is getting ready to take place in the world. 
And all of these things, all of these pains that the world is going through are leading up to that. We'll be seeing what that is in weeks to come. And we got way, we're way short on time this morning, so let me, let me move on. Verses 9 through 11, see the faithful witnesses. The scene changes back from earth back to heaven here. The events of earth take a pause for a moment, and he goes back to the throne room scene in heaven, and he says under the altar there, he sees these martyrs, these faithful witnesses. The word martyr literally means a witness. It's the Greek word martyrs, which literally means a witness, one who has been so faithful in their witness that they gave their very life for their faithfulness to Christ. And what were they doing? He opens the fifth seal. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That doesn't sound like a very Christ-like prayer, does it? But start to read the Psalms and you see this all over the place. You see David calling out to God, saying, Lord, would you break the teeth of my enemy in their mouths? Would you smash my enemies in their mouths and break out their teeth? That is a prayer that David prays in the Psalms. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. There is a place for the people of God to call out for God's justice. It's not in a vengeful way. It's not like they're saying, Lord, give us the strength to rise up and to knock our enemy's teeth out. That's not what David was saying. But David was saying, God, I know that you're perfect in your justice. And when I look at the world around me, the great question that the world is often asking is, why do we see wicked people flourishing? If God's really good, then why do we see wicked people really doing well? Why do we see wicked people making lots of money, prospering in their businesses? Why does it look like in our world, if we're really honest, if we take a step back from when we look at our world, why does it look like evil is winning? It's because God's showing grace. Peter lays this out in his epistle. You go read 2 Peter chapter 3 and you'll see he's saying God's being patient but there's going to come a day when God's grace runs out. And so these martyrs, these who have given their life for the cause of Christ, who have been killed because they were proclaiming the name of Jesus, they're asking Lord how long? And then they were each given a white robe And they were told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. In Matthew 24, 9, Jesus spoke about this. And he said, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. These martyrs, those who have been faithful unto death, who have been given now the crown of life, And they're yearning. We see them yearning here for God to demonstrate the fullness of His justice in the world, to avenge their deaths. 
Not because they're hateful towards those who took their lives, but because they love the justice of God. You see, I believe these martyrs are a great example for us that we ought to love the justice of God just as much as we love His mercy. That we ought to love the loving God just as much as we love the wrathful God. And that's hard for us. But these martyrs are saying the, the wrath of God, the justice of God, the judgment of God is good and right and pure and holy. And we ought to, we ought to love it and yearn for it and pray that the justice of God would be demonstrated in our world. And finally, with the few minutes we have left, I want you to see this fearful world. In verses 12 through 17, he opens the sixth seal. And then it starts to get really crazy. There's an earthquake. The sun becomes black as sackcloth. The moon looks like blood. The stars are falling from the sky just like a fig tree shedding its fruit. The sky's rolling up like a scroll. The mountains and the islands are being removed from their places. The whole creation is in turmoil. And what's the response of the people on the earth in that day? Fear. Fear. See this fearful world. We see nature moaning. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 24 once again. He says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the things that we just spoken about, those four horsemen and all the things that were going to take place, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what John sees in his vision. Nature moaning. We also see the nations mourning. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, Then will appear in the heavens the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will rejoice, right? When Jesus comes back, everyone's going to rejoice, right? No. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And it won't be, welcome back, Jesus. It'll be, hide us in the caves because we don't want to see you. This is not a repentant people. This is the people who are still in their sinfulness rejecting Christ, still refusing Him even in the demonstration of the fullness of His glory. And so they would rather hide in the caves than come face to face with the wrath of the Lamb, which is a a really strange statement. When you think of a, a Lamb, the last thing you think of is wrath. But this Lamb demonstrates His wrath so that the creation of God might be purified, the people of God might be saved. So we see these things. Finally, let me leave you with this this morning. We see nature moaning and the nation's mourning, and finally we see the redeemed rejoicing. And you're going, wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't see that. I don't see any rejoicing here in Revelation chapter 6. But look at the last verse there. I want to leave you with this this morning. Let's just start in in verse 16. They're calling out these people in that day. They're calling out to the mountains and the rocks. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who's seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand?
before we do with all this this morning, I'll, I want to encourage you to be able to answer this question in verse 17. Who can stand? Who can stand before this God who is going to bring a righteous end to this sinful world as we know it? Who is going to tear apart every portion of this world? Our economies are going to be wrecked. Our governments are going to be wrecked. Every portion of creation, nature and all, is going to be wrecked for His glory. So he says, this is the greatest question. Even these sinners who are rejecting God and hiding out in these caves are crying out, who can stand before the wrath of the Lamb? And I want you to be able to answer that question before you leave here this morning. So give me just a couple extra minutes. I know we're running late today. I'd apologize, but it's, it'll be worth it, I hope. Matthew twenty four thirty one. Jesus said this, and He, the Lord God Almighty, will send out His angels with a loud trumpet call. And what will they be doing? They will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. And so the question, the question that we're asking is, who can stand? How will you be able to stand before this God? One day, every person who has ever drawn breath on this planet will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You will have to stand before God and give an answer, not just for the things that you did in this world, whether they were good or evil, but even more so for what did you do with the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world? What did you do with Jesus Christ? And I can guarantee you this morning, when you stand before Him, you will have no standing before Him based upon your own righteousness because you'll have none. You will not be able to plead your own good works. You will not be able to say, well, I was better than so and so. It won't make any difference. You will not be able to say, well, I gave so much money to my church. It won't make one bit of difference. You will not be able to say, well, I memorized all this scripture and I, and I, and I rarely ever missed a Sunday and, and I did all these things in your name. Remember what Jesus said? There will be many who said, Lord, we did all these things for your name, but what did he respond? But I never knew you. So how will you be able to stand? How will you be able to stand before this God? Revelation 7 gives us the answer i'm just going to give you a preview we'll get this is kind of a two-part message next week we're going to get, get in revelation chapter seven but i want to give you verse nine listen to this after this john says i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages and what were they doing standing standing before the throne before the Lamb. Do you want to be found among the number of those who are standing before the Lamb or the ones who are hiding in the caves? The dividing line will be this. How can you stand? Those who stand will be those who have confessed their faith in Christ, not cowered in fear of Christ. 
those who stand will stand not in obstinance towards God, but in adoration of God. Those who stand will not stand in willful disobedience, but they will stand in worshipful devotion. And they'll stand not to show their own power, but to sing His praises. If you want to be able to stand before God one day, the answer is Jesus Christ. He made the way for you to stand. All throughout the Scriptures, this encouragement comes many, many times. Ephesians chapter 6, various other Scriptures in the book of Hebrews encourage us to stand, to stand firm. But I want to tell you this morning, you will be unable to stand firm if you're not standing upon the rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ. If your faith is not fully in Him, you will have no basis for standing. And if you want to be able to stand, then trust Christ. Don't put your hope in your checkbook, in your accomplishments, in your good name. Don't put your hope in your parents' faith. Don't put your hope in any of the things of this world. But put your hope in Jesus Christ. And when that day comes, you'll be able to stand firm solely based upon His righteousness in which you will be clothed. Solely based on His sacrifice for you, which is more than enough. Solely based upon the fact that the perfect Lamb of God was slain at the cross to cover your sins with His blood, and those who trust in Him will one day stand before the throne of God and rejoice in a God who is perfectly just and holy and righteous and full of wrath but full of love all at the same time. Is this the God you worship? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I believe that the time is short. And I pray for us, Lord, that, that we will confess our faith in Jesus now rather than find ourselves cowering in fear in days yet to come. Lord, would you remind us today that this world that we seem to find so much security in will one day be shaken down to its very foundations. That the world as we know it is passing away. Not that it might pass away. Or this is a possibility of what will happen. This is your word spoken for us so that we can prepare ourselves. And Lord, may we prepare ourselves solely with faith firmly grounded in Jesus Christ who died for us so that we could have life in him. So that we could stand before your throne of grace with confidence not in ourselves, not in our works, not in our money, not in, not in our, our fame. None of the things that we've accumulated in this world will mean anything in the world to come. But only Christ, the power of His resurrection at work in us. So 
So give us faith in Him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together. We're going to sing hymn 290, hymn of commitment this morning. I invite you to respond. If you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you want to trust Him, I invite you to come this morning. I have heard thy voice and it told thy love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Draw me nearer, dearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where be seated. Our ushers are going to come forward at this time. Prepare to take our offering this morning. If, if you're visiting with us this morning, the only thing we would desire back from you is that little white card that we referenced earlier today with some contact information about you, and we'd like to send you some more information about our church. This is a time for our members and our regular attenders to, to give back to the Lord some of what He's entrusted to us. And so let's pray for our offering. We'll take up our offering and we'll be dismissed this morning. Thank you for allowing me a few extra minutes today. Uh, there's a lot to get through in these chapters, and I just appreciate you, your grace towards your pastor this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and what we've heard this morning. And may we be a people who are ready and rejoicing in our coming Savior. And may we make the most of every opportunity we're given up until the day that you return for us. Take these gifts, Lord, that we give to you. May you multiply them for your kingdom work in this world to reach people with the gospel all across the globe. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear Father, for this day that we can come and worship you, Lord.
freely. And, and Lord, we love you, and we thank you for everything. We ask you, Lord, to go with us through this week to guide us, dear Father. We ask you, Lord, to uh, heal all those who have been mentioned, Lord, and that your will be done in them and in our lives, too. We thank you most of all for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Sinner, run to the rock and hide your face. Rock ran out, no hiding place. Crying holy unto the Lord. Crying holy unto the Lord. Oh, if I could, I surely would sit on that rock where most stood. said, woman, don't you worry, for God sent me today, and before you even ask him, help was on the way, just hold on a little longer. 
bled and died to buy my pardon an empty grave is there to prove my Savior be Cause he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I. the future and life is worth living just because he lives how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives but greater still a calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because Christ lives, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth. Glory in 
I can face tomorrow because He lives. All fear is gone because I know He holds the and life is worth the living just because he lives because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives uh, that went good the only thing remember to stop after because I know he Just that part. Christ is risen in G. Uh, does anybody have an iPad or anything I can look up words on? driving Danny nuts. Freely you have lived. 
Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Beneath the weight of all our sin, you bow to none but heaven's will. No scheme of hell, no scoffer's crown, no burden great can hold you down in strength. You reign forever, let your church. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? And oh, church, come stand in the light. My God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Singing, oh, death, where is your sting? And oh, hell, where is your victory? And oh, church, come stand in the light. My God is not dead, He's alive, He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Those are the two ones we hadn't played. We didn't play it the same just now that we did then. <laughs> uh, see, what is after that? How He Loves is after that, isn't it? How He, how he Loves and See. It's just sound check. 
Uh, like a line of sound check and say sage just the opening one. Is there a video? Okay. I didn't know for sure. Okay. Uh, let's do the only reason we do forever aim. Do forever aim because we we're gonna put the stand in there. And I would do the whole stand song, but I don't know how it goes. They don't fit with the chorus, yeah. I don't, I don't know how it goes. I always sung the chorus, but I never... Usually we just put it with something else anyway. So let's see. How do you update this? Because I don't... Is there a way to update it? To, to update music stand? I don't know how it goes, so I'm going to make up a whole bunch of words that I kind